Hello, everyone. Another episode of Dirt Talk coming to you today. We have a, a guest we've had on previously. Um, we have Mr. Garrett Moss. He's president of Moss Utilities, a utility contractor in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, if you want to hear about his story, we just looked it up. It is episode 15. Uh, back on April 15th, we talked about how he started the company, what are the struggles he's run into, all of that jazz. But today we're going to talk about something specific. We're going to talk about GCs and working for GCs and what it's like and what the issues are. So, Mr. Garrett, how you doing today? Hey, Aaron. Glad to be back, man. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm excited for this one because, you know, you've been very vocal about GCs on primarily LinkedIn. I mean, I, I was going through your LinkedIn the other day doing some research for this episode, which is a, a rarity for me. And I, I mean, you've been posting about this topic for quite a while now. Yeah. Even my wife called me out the other day. She was looking at my LinkedIn. She was like, aren't GCs most of your customers? Why do you, why do you talk so much crap about them? And yeah. I was like, well, I just kind of get on and invent what I'm thinking about. I don't really plan what I'm going to post about. I just kind of feel it. And if I'm feeling that way that day, that's kind of what I post about. So Sometimes it gets me in trouble, but I think people have, have kind of enjoyed somebody saying what they want to say. So. I, I know I get it. I, I well, and, and I, I particularly like this topic because I have, I guess, somewhat openly talked about my dislike for GCs. I do not. We don't work with GCs for a reason. A lot of them reach out. I want nothing to do with them because I, we just, we've had so much trouble with them on our front too. How many times we got kicked off job sites and they're always just total assholes to us for no reason. Like, it's like, well, I don't know why you have to be like this, man, but their, their, their attitude towards other people and their work is so much different than contractors that actually self-perform work, I've found. Yeah, I and, mean, you know, my experience with GCs really only goes back about five years, and it's really limited here to Dallas-Fort Worth. So some of the challenges and stuff we face with them, you know, I don't know if they're unique to this area. I don't know if it's a culture in DFW with how, hyper-competitive everything is. That part I don't know, so I'm only speaking from my experience. But we have found some really, really good ones over the years, and those are the ones we, we cling on to. Uh, we service the best. We give them our best effort day in, day out. You know, we try to do that with everybody, but there, there's certain partnerships that we form with, with uh, general contractors that just make work fun, and there's other ones that just make it completely miserable. And, and there's a lot of differences between those two camps. All right. Well, let's let's get into it a little bit here. I guess first off, why did you start speaking about this publicly to begin with? What what got you going when you first started talking about it on LinkedIn? Man, we've just had to, you know, it's really just been frustrations and, and learning stuff the hard way, and and us growing as fast as we have. Um, you know, ninety ninety five percent of our work being private uh, work, either commercial or multifamily you know, for GCs or sometimes developers slash GCs that, that do both. Um, we just have a lot of experience in, in dealing with the, these type of customers. And I'm still trying to figure these guys out. I, I want to know more about our customers. I want to know what makes them tick, what makes them successful. I want to know how to do a better job for them, how to be more profitable. And speaking out about it, just kind of, I just was venting my frustration a little bit. And uh, I think it's, I think it's helped. I think it, I've gotten some good feedback. And, and learn some lessons and, you know, we're really just going through it all and then trying to get better every day. So you guys, I mean, you're, like I said, you're a wet utility contractor. So you do water, sewer, storm is, is pretty much your business, right? Yes. And, yep. and this, this year in 2020, we've, you know, 
it's been mainly uh, we did a lot of multifamily in 18 and 19. Um, we've kind of scaled back in multifamily because we've had a lot of issues with, with those GCs uh, not being as high quality as some of the bigger commercial ones. But, you know, getting started, we worked for a lot of the small commercial guys, kind of worked our way up into the, the top, you know, 25 or 30 here in DFW. Um, there's still plenty of, of big boys that we don't do any work for yet that we want to, but there's there's plenty of big boys that we don't really want to chase either. And um, just still trying to figure out and build relationships and figure out where we can be effective and where we can be profitable and, and where we can bring our expertise. So I guess before we get into some of the issues, how does the money flow? Because the GCs, general contractors, they are your customers. So when they, when there's a, say, I know you guys have done some Amazon warehouses. So there's a huge Amazon warehouse. Amazon comes comes to town and they say, we want to build this warehouse here. So they award it to a general contractor, give the general contractor the money. And then from there, general contractor puts it out to bid to people like you who take a piece of the pie and go execute that piece of the work. How does the, how does the money flow in the, in the GC subcontractor equation? Well, in that instance, Amazon's only the tenant. So there's actually an, uh, another party, the developer. So, you know, Amazon will sign a, a 10, 20 year lease with the developer. The developer will be the ones that put together, you know, they'll find the land. Um, they'll spec everything out. They'll do all the due diligence. They'll, they're the ones that hire the general contractor. And then the general contract, contractor hires all the subcontractors, um, us being one of maybe 30, you know, it just depends on the project type. And so, you know, we're a small piece of the pie and, and really the, the GC is the one that, that puts all the subs, to, you know, trade packages together and, and bids one big package to the developer. And, you know, that's part of the problem. Is It's not always the, the GC. It's not always their problem. It's not always their, you know, they don't have the money to pay all these subs if they don't get paid. So sometimes they're stuck in the middle. They're balancing risk. They're balancing issues between an owner that doesn't want to pay for changes and a sub that wants to get paid for changes. They're They're balancing subs that don't work well together. They're balancing all sorts of stuff. So their life is not always easy, but I do think there are ways that they could be a lot better. And uh, they could start with the owner putting GCs in a better position up front with how they open up the bidding process, how they negotiate work. You know, all that I think starts at the top needs to get better. So get get into that. I mean, is it a lot, is it a lot of the owner choosing the lowest bid, for example? I mean, I see that that is one of the big problems. They're always just after the lowest price and with what the lowest price you get the lowest quality in theory. I mean, what is, what does it look like from the top? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the, at the very beginning of a project, what the bid process looks like, you know, the old school theory was hire the design team, pay the design team to design some drawings and then put the drawings out for hard bid and take the lowest number. Yep. And if you talk to some of the, the, the best GCs, the, the big ones, the, the best in the world, you know, they try to, they don't even hard bid anything. They don't want to do hard bid work because that doesn't provide the best value for the owner in the long run. And some of these owners and developers can't seem to wrap their head around why they shouldn't go with a design build firm or why they shouldn't go with the CM at risk strategy. You know, these, when you just put out a, a set of drawings that take the lowest bidder, you're not going to get the best value. And at the end of the day, you're probably not going to get the best overall price. You, your, your project is going to come in higher than it would have if you just chosen a quality firm built the relationship and and had them help you through the design process, had them help you through sub-selection. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into it that uh, these owners just don't think about. They just see a, a, a spreadsheet of bids and want to choose the lowest one because, you know, they, they think they have to be as cutthroat 
and competitive in this market as everybody else. And I just don't think it has to be that way. That is the, that is the funny thing about it is you I mean, you're right. I've seen a lot of it where they choose the lowest bid and it comes in way higher at the end of the project than it would have been if they would have chosen the better contractor that would have actually thought about them the entire time. Yeah. The, the best projects we're involved in are where the general contractor is a negotiated way up front and they get us involved very early on. I mean, we like doing napkin sketches. We like doing VE ideas at the, at the front of the project. We like recommending certain detention systems, certain types of pipe, helping them with the design process. And we don't mind doing that. It takes a lot of effort. You know, we built a, a really solid pre-construction team to do those kind of things. When we develop a relationship with a general contractor that, that you know, we're going to be involved in the project from the very beginning through that design phase to the very end. And when we have those kind of relationships, the projects go a lot better. We save the owner money. I mean, that's where our strength lies is in our pre-construction and project management and then the ability to go execute on the back end. But, you know, a lot of people can go out and lay this pipe, but can they do all these things well? Can they can they build the pre-construction team? Can they help out on the front end? That's where we're trying to bring value in all aspects of the project. What percentage of projects are like that, though, where you can actually participate in the project before you go build it? Oh, man, it's probably 20% or less. You know, yeah. We're lucky. Yeah. Uh, most of the time we're... You know, we keep a pretty good, solid uh, CRM system and, and try to get bid invites from everybody we can. And, you know, when we see a project that we're about to bid and it has 12 GCs bidding it, it makes us cringe because all 12 of those guys have their favorite utility contractors. They have their, their bid list and they're all battling for low number. So what does that mean? They're going to take the lowest of the low of all the utility bidders. Does that mean there's 20 utility bidders on it? Does that mean there, there's there's 10 bidding to everybody? And then, you know, when you have certain relationships with GCs on that list and not so well with other ones, you got to pick and choose who you want to bid to, you know, what strategy you're going to use. And it really makes you roll your eyes at those kind of projects. And, you know, then we're not going to go after those very hard in the grand scheme of things. I guess this made me think of something else. I'm just going to start going down rabbit holes here. Are, are there times where GCs put things out to bid to just get numbers and with really no intention of choosing you guys? Has, does that happen? I yeah. mean, we try, you know, and we'll, we'll bid a general contractor if they solicit us for bids, you know, several times and we'll try to establish a relationship. I don't just like throwing numbers out to people we've never met, people we don't know, but sometimes we do it. You know, if we have time on the estimated calendar to bid to people that are new that, that we don't know and we try to go meet face to face, we try to get a feel for them as people. We try to understand what they're going through. And then, you know, but if we bid somebody for six months and we don't get any feedback on our numbers. We don't, we don't ever sniff a job. We don't really know what they're looking for. Then we're not going to keep bidding them because it's, we're not going to spin our wheels forever. So we can be an estimating service, a number check for your favorite guy. Wow. So. Yeah. And, and I guess on the public side of things, there are some laws there that prevent that from happening. Just shopping bids around. You can't do that on the public side of things, but private, you can kind of do whatever the hell you want. There's really no, there are rules, but there aren't rules at the same time. There are, yeah, people will get, you know, just depends on how the, the, the firm, but people will get dirty and they get nasty. They, they, they lie about competitors' numbers. They'll beat you down even if you're already low. They'll use every game in the book to try to turn margin. And, you know, certain general contractors develop reputations for that. Everybody knows that this GC takes work at, you know, zero margin and then tries to beat it out of their subs. And it's up to the subs just to make a concerted effort to, to not put up with that with that general contractor. But, you know, sometimes subs need work and they're, 
they're willing to take it with that guy and just kind of stomach the, the headache. And it's just all about choosing, choosing wisely who you do work for. So how does that screw everybody? Cause I know it's really just a race to the bottom. If they're beating the shit out of subcontractors, trying to get as much as they can out of them. And then the subcontractors are bidding jobs for absolutely nothing. And then that becomes the new norm in the market. And then now everyone has to compete with those numbers that aren't profitable to begin with. Like how, how does that screw everybody just trying as a general contractor to beat up all your subs? I mean, if you talk to a lot of the people that have been in DFW for a long time, they'll say that's the problem with here because there, there's so much work here. There's also a lot of competition, but it's just been a race to the bottom. Margins here are probably, you know, half of what there, there can be margins in, in other parts of the country with less work. With yeah. how much work there is now, everybody should be able to, to do well. And it's just, you know, through competition and through, you know, bad choice of subcontractor selection and, and bad choice and in general contractor selection, the, the margins here are just, they're not that great. How, I guess early on, I mean, do you have any particular stories in which you guys had to figure this out the hard way? Oh, there's lots. I mean, our estimating team cracks up every time I send them an email saying, add, add this person to the no bid list because, you know, they're just, they just, they just know that I don't do that lightly. I don't do that. You know, if I get a bad vibe for, a company, it's usually based on getting to know the ownership of the company or the or the management and realizing they're not very good people or having gone through a couple projects and, and just beating our head against the wall to get paid or beating our head against the wall with bad superintendents or, or bad project managers or people that are just unethical. And, you know, we're at a point now where we can, we can say no to that. We don't have to deal with that anymore. We've built up a good reputation. You know, we're growing. We've done a lot of work. We've had a lot of good projects under our belt. We don't need to mess with people that don't care and are, are just bad people. So learning how to say no has been one of the most valuable things I've, I've learned is, you know, getting started. We said yes to pretty much everything. And it just projects, you know, it's not a bad decision. The bad decision lasts a lot longer than just right when you take on that project. I mean, you're dealing with these guys for a year or two, depending on how long the project is. They don't go away. Yeah. And then you're fighting for your money at the end of the job. And it's miserable and you're having to file a lien on a project to protect your money and stuff gets ugly. And I mean, it's just saying no to the wrong people is the best decision you can make. So even, I mean, you could have a good GC, but you could have a bad project manager and superintendent. And even that makes a difference on a job. Yes, definitely. That's one of the, the best ways to judge a general contractor is the quality of people they hire. Yeah. But also realizing that you can, you can have a bad apple, you know, that's why I try not to make a, decision about a, a GC based on one set of people, but I like to establish a relationship with the management on that side because if there's a problem with a superintendent or a, or a project manager, their management needs to hear about it. It needs to hear why there's a problem. You know, I would want that feedback from one of our customers. If they, if they had a problem with one of our superintendents or one of our project managers, I would want them to bring it to me and, and tell me about it and let me have a chance to fix it or address it or see if it's really a problem. Yep. And that, you know, the best customers we work with will listen and we'll work out issues, you know, in person and we'll, we'll talk about them and we'll work through them. And our best customers don't throw the contract in our face. They talk about stuff and they work through it. It's not, it's not, you know, the minute these GCs, you know, we could talk about contracts too, but the minute these GCs throw these ugly contracts in your face and then say, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll never, we'll never have to use it. You know, that's, that's a giant red flag at the beginning. What do you mean throw the contract in your face? You know, I just, a lot of these contracts now, we've had to learn, 
you know, we go through a lot of legal review on them. We spend a lot of time on them. They're very one-sided contracts getting put out there that don't, that, that don't represent subs fairly. So when there's a dispute or a serious issue, you know, the, the contract is so one-sided that it just doesn't even, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't help the subs at all when, when, when shit hits the fan. So I've learned early on, if a GC is not willing to negotiate on very, very ugly things in the contract, we're walking away. And if what they're saying to your face is different than what they're putting in the contract, we're walking away. Really? Yeah, because those type of situations just, you know, you hope that when you sign a contract on a job, you never have to pull it out again. Yep. You know, you want to look at it to see when you're going to bill and what the insurance requirements are. But other than that, you're not pulling it out when there's an issue. The issue needs to be handled over the phone, talking through stuff and, you know, solving it like men or women. And it's not. You know, the, the minute a GC throws a contract in your face, that you can just tell it's going to go downhill from there. No, and we, I mean, that applies to our business too, as far as contracts go. We have a very basic contract with every everybody we work with. We try to make it fair. So if we expect something of them, we say, okay, well, we won't do it as well. You know, we try to make it two-sided. But I, it's funny working with contractors that are so used to having to defend themselves based on the contract we've gotten into, you know, billing issues or whatever it may be in the past. We'll get a phone call from, from one of you guys, you know, and, and you'll say, well, I have the contract right here and it says this. And it's like, oh, okay, like ho- hold on here. Like we don't need to go break the contract out. Like we can just, let's just talk about it. Like what's the problem? Let's, let's work through it. We, you know, even if the contract says this, like, okay, maybe we want to do it differently. We don't have to do it the way the contract says it. Let's try to work through this together. To me, that makes common business sense, but um, I guess lawyers don't like that because then they don't get paid. And, and some of these companies, they're just so used to using the contract to defend themselves that that's the only way they do business now. Yeah. There's a, there's one GC we did several projects with in 19 and, and still trying to get paid on some of our jobs. And, and every time there was an issue, you know, we, we would prove that the issue was with their concrete subcontractor or, or with uh, the civil engineer. And we would prove and meet out there and show them you know, why what we installed was correct. And instead of listening, they would just send a, a you know, a, a notification of termination or something like that every time. They, and then they got to the point where they wouldn't pick up the phone and talk to us. They would just send us an, every time there was an issue or every time we didn't go out the minute they wanted us out there, it was, Oh, you're in default. You get three days notice. Really? And yeah, we'll never work for those guys again. I mean, that's not the way to, when you go out there and show people, you know, we're not there to argue. And um, if it was small stuff, and we did something wrong, we're going to own up to it. We're going to fix our work. Like, that's that's a no-brainer for us. We are not going to argue bad work. We're not going to fight on, you know, trying to defend ourselves that we're in the wrong. But when our guys do correct work and do it right, and there, there's another issue going on, we're going to explain it to the best of our ability and, and try to work through it. It is interesting how you talk about the contract being a good indicator because I've I have totally found that, too. And we haven't done deals again, you know, it, it, this applies to more, more than one industry in our world. We haven't done deals because the contract, the agreement has been so difficult to make happen that it just tells us everything we need to know about their overarching way of doing business. Like if it's such a pain in the ass just to get a contract signed with these people, what's it going to be like working with these people? Do we really even want to be working with these people? And and are they just going to try to beat us up the entire time? And every single time, Every single time a contract has been very difficult to to get done, it's been an absolute terrible time on the back end actually carrying out whatever work we said we would do. 
Yeah, that's definitely right. I mean, here's an example. We we sat down last year with a, a GC, and I had already heard kind of bad things about him, but I try to be open-minded. We go to negotiate the contract, and, and there's language in there that says if our work gets torn up by another subcontractor, that, that we pay for it. Really? And I'm kind of like – Nice. I'm like, How, so you're telling me if all of our work gets installed right and another sub comes and tears it up, that we pay for it. And his response was, well, yeah, why do you come into me? Just because I got the money? Wow. Yeah, you know, we, we don't do any work with them. <laughs> I mean, that was the – or another contract said, you know, if we don't respond to, to a uh, request to finish some work in a timely fashion, that we forfeit all of our retainage. Wow. Like, like no, that's not how this works. And wow. I, and I've seen stuff in contracts where – they try to put in language that says they can come take over your your company to finish the project or all sorts of crazy stuff. And I'm just like, you know, the minute I start seeing stuff like that, you know, I don't even need to send it to my attorney. I just, I'm, I'm we're saying no, we're not dealing with that. It's a giant red flag and it saves a lot of headache in the long run. So the bad, the bad GCs, they try to put the risk onto their subcontractors, which are, I mean, it, which doesn't do anyone any good. I mean, even the good GCs nowadays, they, they have pretty stern contracts. They've got good attorneys. They're yeah. trying to manage risk. But usually they're open to fair negotiation and fair pushback on on different items. And, you know, the, in, in DFW, I've heard other areas don't do this, but DFW, every contract has a pay-when-paid clause. Yep. I mean, the GC doesn't have to pay you if they don't get paid. Yeah. A lot of people have a problem with that. I mean, I don't – to me, it makes sense. Like, how would you guys expect to pay bills if, if the owner doesn't pay you? But there's there's lots of bad stuff you see, and, and we, that's why we spend money with a good attorney, review our contracts now, and try to be proactive about that up front with, with new customers that we've never worked with. I've always had a problem with pay-when-paid clauses, and again, I'm not a contractor, and, and I know it's just kind of the norm across the industry now. That's It's not very uncommon anymore. But the whole paid-when-paid thing, it's like you're the big GC. I know you have access to way more capital than we as a small local business has access to. Like we're, we're down to the wire here. We can't just not get paid for work that we've already done. Even if it's a problem with, with what you have going on. Like I, I get where they're coming from, but I'm also like, how can you expect to just not pay these small businesses doing all the work for you when it's a problem with whatever you're facing at the top and you're this big GC, this isn't the only job you have going on. Whereas the subcontractors, they're in a totally different boat than these multi-billion dollar construction companies managing the work. Definitely. And we've had some, some good instances where GCs have recognized that and helped us out. Yeah. You know, we, we've been on projects where the owner wasn't paying and, and the GC stepped up and kept us paid while they waited on the money because they value relationships. And those are the kind of guys you want to work for. hundred percent or guys that understand how difficult the retainage situation was for us getting started and, and fought to release our retainage earlier, went to bat with the owners and said, Hey, these guys have been done for a long time. You need to release their retainage. Those, those kind of guys are, are few and far between and, and we'll do anything for those kind of customers. Well, and it sounds like they're doing like a good thing for you, doing you a favor, but they're really doing themselves a favor by going to bat for you because a GC is only as good as its subcontractors. So a GC, I mean, they're not performing any of the work themselves. So they are really just a, their, their subcontractors and their work is, is directly correlated to how they're viewed. So if they have shitty subcontractors, shitty, shitty quality of work, they're going to be a shitty GC. They need you as a subcontractor to do really damn well 
because that means they do well. Like it's it's you guys in theory should be partners in the in this business and every single project, which is why it's so confusing. Why it's not that way a lot of these times. Well, probably because the, the the those kind of GCs, their customers don't care about quality for whatever reason. They care about getting their project up and as fast as possible, as cheap as possible, yeah. and or maybe not even as fast as possible. Sometimes just as cheap as possible. Yeah, and then you know, selling it and they don't care about quality of product. They don't care about longevity of materials used on the job. They don't, you know, it's, it's pretty disheartening sometimes that some of these projects that get built with zero, zero care for, for what's getting installed. How do you know the kind of relationships people have before you've done work with them? Is it, I mean, is the community pretty tight knit or how, how do these rumors make their way about the market? Well, we, you know, we try to befriend a lot of other subcontractors. We try to learn from them, mm. uh, talk to them, discuss uh, issues. You know, we're, we're big members of ASA, which provide a good network of American Subcontractors Association, a good network of subs to, to talk about GCs, to talk about issues that, that arise. And, and you really just try to listen and feel. And you try not to listen to rumors or just gossip. Yep. But um, you try to verify with, you know, that's why I'm pretty open to working for a, a GC once. Also, if somebody had an issue with a GC 10 years ago, well, that doesn't mean that those people are even there anymore. Or yeah. they just had an issue with certain people that were there. So people need to be very careful about their reputation because it will follow them. If th- this is a small world. And if people are out there screwing other people, it's going to catch up with them eventually. I agree with that. Do you believe that GCs provide a necessary function on every single project? I mean, are they really adding value on every single job? Or I, I know you couldn't do a lot of these projects without GCs. Like I know they do provide a function, but is it do they really is it really necessary to have a GC on every every on every project? Um, it just depends on the the type of project and the owner. You know, we've had a lot of success with these developers that they're the developer and then they, they GC it themselves. And if they have good people that kind of manage the construction process themselves, it's way easier because they can make decisions on costs way faster. They, they do value quality because it's their project. Yeah. Um, so that tends to be really, really good. Even in multifamily, when the, when the multifamily developer is building the project themselves and, and cares more about schedule than they do about bottom dollar costs, they want reliable subs. They want good work. So th- that tends to help. I mean, th- there needs to be somebody managing all the different subcontractors. There needs to be somebody managing the schedule. There needs to be somebody managing all the all the risk and the cost. So the, the, the general contractor provides a value, but sometimes it, it could be a lot better, and it could be way easier and less headache. And um, I think you'd see more projects on schedule and under budget if the, the process was improved. I agree. And I, I mean, a lot of times they really are just somewhat of a middleman. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the owner yeah. should be asking the GC, which, which subcontractors they're using. They should be, you know, sometimes GCs will bid kind of open book. They'll negotiate a, a, a fee and then they're open book about their subcontractor selection. And I think that's a, a good way to do it because you need to know who they're hiring and, and, and why, and, and why are they choosing this guy? If he's 10% lower than everybody else. What, what's the rationale there? And, you know, when you, when you do that across the board and take cheap subs across the board on a project, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. And, and so GCs, they could get this number and then go choose all these cheap subs to go try to maximize their cut of the job. 
and then not tell the owner that like who they're who they're hiring or why? That's how it normally works when it's just a lump sum project. You know, if these GCs all bid the job and it's lump sum, okay, this job is twenty million. If they go beat the subs down, choose cheap subs, they get to keep they pocket anything that they save. Wow. The, the best relationships are when these GCs negotiate a fee with the owner and then a percentage of savings. Yeah. Let's say they split all the savings 50, 50, you know, that's a win, win for both parties or, um, or it's just a fee and the GC picks quality subs and the, the GC's fee is fixed. It's just, you know, whatever percentage is negotiated, that seems to work out the best because then there's no, there's no, it, you know, and it's all open book. You show all your subcontractor bids to the owner. You let them help you in the process of picking subs, you, you know, but you really bring your value when you can bring quality subs to the table and, you know, I think that's the way to do it. I, I think these hard bid, you know, GMP bids or, or lump sum bids just are a terrible format and they've it's been around too long and it needs to it needs to go away. So is it is it getting better or is it getting worse? I mean, is it it seems somewhat futile, especially in a a market like DFW that's just so hot and wild. I mean, is it, is it, what direction is it headed in? Is it getting better or, or not really? It's hard to tell. I think we see it getting better because we're stepping up the quality of customer we're working for yeah. than we have in yeah. the past. So we're getting rid of the, the riffraff that, you know, the bad, bad quality GCs, we're just not going to deal with them anymore. And we're getting better. We're developing a reputation to where the big high quality GCs will let us bid and the, the, the bid list will be shorter. There may be three utility subs bidding a job versus, 15 or you're you know trying to negotiate work or, or build up relationships where people know they can trust and depend on you and when you step up your game like that you don't have to work for some of these these guys out there that are just doing terrible jobs so i guess going to that on the good gc side of things could you have you know you you're a good subcontractor you have a gc great gc and then could you just have a shitty owner that still makes everything bad yeah, but in that situation, you and the GC should be able to talk about that, realizing you're dealing with a bad owner, and, you know, you can work through it together. And you can get through it together if you're on the same page. You know, we've had that before where an owner didn't want to pay for clear plan changes. You know, civil engineer completely changed a set of plans. The owner didn't want to pay for it. You know, us and the GC had to go fight together. You need a, you want a GC that's going to have your back in those situations and not lean on, in favor of the owner. You know, the owner's their customer, so they tend to want to please the owner. But when they realize they're being ridiculous and the subcontractors do money that's fair and, on, you know, has integrity, then they'll fight for you. And that's the kind of guy you want. That makes sense. Are there are there big GCs out there that suck? I mean, are there are there big GCs that still make just a ton of money, huge revenue dollars that you still wouldn't work for? I mean, is, is size yeah. any kind of indicator of quality, really? I think size is a is sometimes an indicator of quality, but there are some of the big dogs that are miserable to work for, and everybody knows it. And I have no idea how they still survive. Well, that's the Zero question. Idea. Um, yeah, I mean, how how do how are they still around when they suck to work for? Because there's other there's subcontractors out there that just want want money and will bid anything. Yeah, I think there's guys out there that will that will take work because they have to, and you know they'll they'll fight through that battle, and it's just. They're not the, the the best subs out there won't do it. So, you know, I, I always question that, how guys stay in business doing what they do. There's competitors of ours that I question how they stay in business doing what, what they do. Yeah, We constantly get calls to come take over projects that they can't finish or 
constant calls about how bad they are and, and you know, can't just can't figure it out. But, they, you know, they'll show up on a bid tab and they'll be 10% lower than everybody else. And guess what? That GC's choosing them again. So they better be able to afford a lot of aspirin with that low bid. It is just, it's amazing how this works. I just don't, I guess going back to being selective with who you work with, I know you guys ran through some, I mean, you guys had some issues with growing too fast and retainage that we talked about on the first episode that, that we right. had you on. Is it is it difficult to remain so disciplined with who you're saying yes to even when you need the money really damn bad? I mean, were there situations in which you knew like, hey, this is probably going to be a fucked up deal, but we're going to do it anyway because we just we need some kind of cash flow right now. Like we don't have the luxury of saying no, or has it always been like, no, there's just no situation in which we can say yes to working with these guys? You know, I mean, we're forced with difficult decisions all the time about that kind of stuff. Um, some GC, you know, may come and offer us a job that we really, it kind of gives us a a bad taste in our mouth. We're like, ah, we should probably say no, but it fits our schedule. And, you know, we think we can make money at it. And, you know, sometimes those work out. Okay. Sometimes yeah. they'll surprise you. And, yeah. and sometimes you need the work and you got to keep your, your team busy. And, um, but you know, we've had our, our foot on the gas pedal with business development, with marketing, with building relationships so hard that we've just been trying to, to ramp up and we're super aggressive on working for quality guys. And, so we're probably a little risk, you know, we take a little bit more risk than some of our competitors that have been around 30, 40 years. And that can be both an advantage and a disadvantage at times. So yeah. we just try to make quality decisions every day and, and learn from our mistakes. And, you know, sometimes we, we, we do make a mistake in who we work for and we just got to get through that project and, and move on. So. Are there situations in which you as the subcontractor have the power over the general contractor? I mean, do you need to be a certain size to somewhat wield power over, over general contractors? Because usually it's, it's the other way around. The general contractor has the power in the relationship and they somewhat dictate what is going to happen. Are there, are there times in which that role is somewhat reversed at all? Or is it always now the GC is kind of the overlord here and, and, and we're just, we're beneath them. You know, I hear that it's a subcontractor's market. And they have all the control, but I, I kind of laugh at that because I, I don't, I don't see it. You know, at the end of the day, these these GCs can always find somebody else to do the work that may do it at a, a crappier job or a higher price. So yeah, there's a lot of competition here in DFW. There's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good contractors here, but there's a lot of a lot of bad ones too. And I know that you know we're in that top tier. We're one of the best ones out there. We're getting better every day. And, you know, maybe the size of project, if you, we get into these bigger projects, there's only a certain group that can really handle them. Gotcha. Um, you know, if we're going to bid a, a 7-Eleven or a little shopping center, there's a lot of, you know, Joe B contractors that, that get in that mix and you just can't compete with that. Yeah. You know, we have yeah. certain certain quality standards, certain safety standards, certain uh, way of doing business. And, and we have to be profitable and, and we pay people really well and hire good people. And that comes with a certain you know, a uh, margin that we have to make on our projects. And some guys just don't have to make that kind of margin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's guys out there that will bid work and completely take the equipment out of it because they may have paid off equipment, you know, not factoring in that they're going to have to replace that equipment one day, just bad long-term decision-making. And you can't compete with that. So, you know, I don't, the GC say that they need their subs, but you know, it's hard to really feel like you got a lot of power when you're trying to grow and develop relationships and please customers. 
with with um I mean being critical in a public forum about the people that you work with has it bit you in the ass at all or has it done done more good than than harm? Well, that's kind of funny. I think it's done a lot of good because I'll I'll get texts from some of our customers because I don't ever call out anybody by name. I'll never do that. Yeah. But I'll I'll get texts from customers going, "Hey, was was that was that latest post about us?" And I'll be like, "Of course not." And uh, or you know, people will just chime in and and I think they agree. I mean, people other subs will will comment and just kind of with some admiration that that we're calling people out for this BS that people seem to be afraid to say something about and it it needs to change and i think a lot of good comes from being vocal about trying to change it you know if somebody doesn't want to work with us because they they don't like my linkedin post then we're better off without them or if they don't like that i'm calling out the way they do business because that's how they want to do business then then who cares is it i mean but but is that is it sometimes scary because i i I'll say things that I believe in and I, and I, and you know, I'm on a public forum too on the internet and, and I kind of sit there and I'm like, ah, you know, this is a little nerve wracking to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But, or, or is it always just like, no, nope, I, you know, this is what I believe in and, and I need to say it. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. I mean, or do you ever have any kind of hesitation or, or do you ever regret any saying anything or has it all just been, no, nope, no, I said it, I believe it. And that's that. No, I definitely hesitate. And I probably do it a little too much because, you know, in my head, I'm going, oh, man, if you burn that bridge with that customer, you're never going to get any work. And you yeah. burn too many bridges, and you're going to run out of work. You're going to run out of work. And you got to gotta play nice and play nice. And I think it ends up working out. You know, I, I don't know that we're ever going to only work for a perfect group of customers. I mean, that's just not feasible, right? And as long as we just keep delivering long-term value and, and doing a good job, I think stuff's going to work it work out and the the people we work for you know we want to develop relationships with them that they go beyond just the job that make some of this kind of fun and it's really it's really um it feels really good when you do a good job for somebody and you know they call you just to tell you thank you they call you to talk about how much better you are than the guys that have used in the past they enjoy spending time with you outside of work they d- develop friendships i mean that stuff makes everything else worth it and, you know, I saw my dad's company and the types of relationships he was able to develop with his customers. And that's really where I learned that was that this business can be fun. Um, it can be fun watching stuff that you've worked on get built. It can be fun watching new developments and new multifamily projects and new giant warehouses get built that, that you helped contribute to. And uh, it's really fun making people happy, uh, both customers and employees. And as long as we keep doing those kind of things, I'm, you know, I'm not really worried about the rest of it. Well, the, and the funny thing is about, you know, those nice conversations is I, 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 if it's anything like, like me or I guess any other business owner I've ever talked to about nine out of 10 phone calls are, are bad and, and some problem or something like, oh shit. And so you get that one nice phone call where someone just calling you to just say, thank you. It's, it's, it's just such a nice breath of fresh air that you don't get a whole lot as, as you know, someone on, on the top of an organization. Yep. Or, you know, what's even better is on the next project, they realize how good you did on the previous one and they, they work to get you the next one. I mean, that, that makes life so much easier. And, and when you go out there and just work hard and and feel like you earned it and feel like you knocked it out of the park and then they, they give it to the next guy because he's 10% cheaper on the, on the next project that you really want, that can be disheartening. And you just got to, 
you know, keep plugging. And there's guys out there that will, will call and say thank you. And we'll call and tell you, you did a good job. And that, that starts, you know, where you start caring about that customer and really, really want to do well for them. And what these guys don't realize is, you know, we will admit it or not, we try to treat every customer as a top customer, right? But, yeah. you know, there are guys that we will go above and beyond for just based on how we like them. You know, if they're likable, if they're good people, I mean, you just get a little more pep in your step wanting to help somebody versus, you know, a top revenue customer that calls screaming and yelling and is ugly. I mean, it's just, it's night and day. People just want to work for people that they like and enjoy working with. And we try to treat our subs with that same type of relationship. And it's astounding to see our, our we'll, we'll respond a little differently when it's, you know, when it's with, with a little honey instead of something else. Yeah. Uh, well, and the funny thing about the, at least that I've learned about that, like when, when I guess our vendors for what we do beyond our people and our, our contractors are, you know, lawyers, accountants, insurance people, you know, there's a, there's a big network of folks behind our business now supporting our business and we're still paying them to do the job, but just going and, and taking that extra five minutes to write just a handwritten thank you card, you know, Hey, um, you know, this, this, this woman, Andrea, she just helped us out with our, our lease on our office. Um, huge help. And, and, and I, I just wanted to be patient with her. I wanted to be caring, you know, we were paying her to do her job, but I still wanted her to know. I just, I really sincerely appreciate having you here because you know, everything I don't, and this has been such a wonderful education and you've just been so helpful. It doesn't take very much to go and, and say something like that, but you can just tell that they don't get that very much. And they, they just, they, a lot of these people, they just get their asses chewed all the damn time by everyone they work with. And so when you just give them a little bit more than they've ever had anywhere else, then the next time around, it's, it's a completely different relationship. But, but there's so many people that are, it's all goes back to entitlement. They think that because I give you money to do something that I don't need to do anything else beyond that. Like I, I, I'm entitled to getting whatever I'm giving you uh, whatever work I'm, I'm trading for for money, and that's that. And and when you go beyond that, it 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 just makes everything so much better, and it makes it more fun for you too. When there's a better relationship there, rather than just being an asshole. I don't know if that makes sense yeah, or not, a, but it makes I sense think to a me. A great example, a great example of that is from a book that you actually gave to me, Uncontainable, with the Container Store, and how they value their relationships with their vendors to where they made it, you know, fill the other guys basket to the brim and that that's how we try to run our business with our, with our vendors you know we try not to use the the low guy every time on on material we we try to build relationships with our vendors that do that subcontract our, our tv and camera work or our trench safety or our barricade supplier and, and build win-win relationships and it it just makes everything better top down it makes the whole process better people get a better end product when you can develop those kind of relationships and it's pretty hard in today's world. People don't seem to have time to put the extra effort into these things. And if they'll just take, take the time and realize how valuable they could be, you know, even if it's sharing uh, how good of a job somebody did on a LinkedIn post or, or helping so somebody out on social media, like you guys do. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Wow. Well, and it goes beyond business ownership too. It's like, you know, this, whoever makes your coffee in the morning, just saying, Hey, you know, thank you. I, this was, Hey man, that latte yesterday is so damn good, and I really, really appreciate it. 
even even that goes far just in life. I mean, it, this is a very applicable principle to anyone's life anywhere. It's not just, you know, you don't have to be just a business owner to make it happen. Or, you know, one of your guys, for example, like you're the business owner, you're, you know, you're Mr. Moss of Moss Utilities, but you're not interacting with the majority of your vendors on any, any given basis. You know, you're, you're, your guys out in the field, they're the face of the company. They're the ones interacting with these people. So they're the ones that you need to instill this, this thought of go above and beyond for your vendors and really take care of these people because that's the, that's the real relationship at the end of the day. I mean, do you try to, how do you try to instill this sense of taking care of everyone you do business with? And even, you know, your superintendents, they're the ones dealing with the GC. So how do you, how do you create that sense of the understanding of, of trying to take care of everyone with your, your people in the field? Man, that's why we made, you know, when it comes to superintendents and our, and our employees taking care of our customers, you know, we made incredible customer service, one of our core values and really trying to you know, I try to grade our team's performance, not on how the job profitability turned out on the spreadsheet, but, you know, is that customer calling, telling how good of a job you did and they want X employee on their next project? That's the, that's the biggest thing you can do. If yeah. I have somebody call me and say, hey, on this next job, I want Parker or, or I want this person on the next job. That yeah. is a huge indicator that, that you did your, your job well. Not that it it made 1% more margin and, you know, and then trying to do that with our vendors too. Like I let our employees choose a lot of their own, you know, vendors, project managers get to buy out whoever they want. It's based on who takes care of them the best, not who takes care of me the best. And, you know, have them involved in those kind of relationships from the get go. And, you know, like you said, all all the way up and down, it's, it's about, at the end of the day, it's about remembering that the other people you're working with are, are that they're people, they're humans. They have, wants and needs and and ideas outside of work outside of the job that they're performing for you and just because you're paying them money doesn't doesn't take away that human factor yeah yeah no it all makes sense to me i mean i uh, it blows me away why the world doesn't work this way in in the construction side of things but hopefully it's going in that direction i think it needs to go in that direction which is why we're working with companies like you guys that that already get that and aren't the beating the shit out of everyone and just taking care of people because I think that's the future future of the industry for sure. Like the the mentality that we can just beat the shit out of people is is quickly fading because my generation wants nothing to do with it for better or for worse. It's just reality. So we need to do things differently or else there's going to be no workforce there for anybody. Yeah, and it's you know it's easier said than done. It's it's a battle every day to you know when we got started to to pay our people top dollar if we felt like they deserved it to yeah provide everything we can for them to uh, provide all the safety measures to to do everything the right way getting started with very little money uh cash flow challenges growth challenges all that and i think we're fine you know we're seeing it pay off we're seeing it pay dividends and the quality of people we have um the customers we're getting the, the the quality of work we're doing i mean we're we're a living breathing example that getting started doing it the right way fighting through all the challenges going through hell doing it together has made us a lot stronger and a lot, a lot better people. So, you know, I, I want everybody to, to try to do it that way, but you know, some people just aren't going to see it that way. Uh, well, most people don't see it that way right now in this industry. And that's why we are where we are. I think, well, do you want to, is there anything else you want to hit on about GCs before we wrap up? No, I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, you know, um, at the end of the day, 
there are a lot of good general contractors out there. There are a lot of good owners and developers, people that care, people that do value these things. And it's about finding those people and really getting to getting to know them and and uh, seeing where you can deliver value. And that's what we try to do every day is, is deliver value to go out there and make the world a better place by, you know, putting a pipe in the ground. It's not it's not the most difficult thing in the world. It's not rocket science, but it's it's meaningful. It's got purpose behind it. And it's something we can feel good about every day. And that's that's all we can do is try to go out there and be better than we were yesterday. 100%. I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you on that one. All right, well, this was a good a good conversation. I'm glad we're talking about it. I always joke, my jokes with GCs too, I give people shit. One, if there's someone with one of those hockey helmets that comes up to you, just go the other way. The, the GCs that wear the hockey helmets I think are just completely absurd, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying both these things. And iPad straps too. Uh, those people that work for GCs, I can't, I, I can't do it. If someone comes up to me with an iPad on an iPad strap, I'm going the other way. I'm not going to talk to them because it's just trouble waiting to happen. <laughs> I don't see a lot of those, but I don't get to make it out on job sites very often these days. But, you know, there's there's a lot of good ones out there too. So we can't knock them all. No, they're, they're fun to make no. fun of and they're, uh, they're, you know, we're all trying to get to know our customer a little bit better and, and, and figure them out, you know. I still can't figure out the opposite sex, so I don't know why I'd be able to figure out general contractors. But oh, you're telling me you're further along than I am, and that on that <laughs> front at least. That's the same everyday battle. <laughs> yeah. All right, get better one day at a time. Oh boy. Uh, well, Garrett, if they want to see your posts about GCs into the future, because I'm sure there will be more to come, is the best place to find you on LinkedIn at Garrett Moss. Yeah, LinkedIn is LinkedIn is my favorite platform for talking about these issues. You know, we have Facebook and Instagram too, but that's not really where I get to put out all the all the juicy gossip. So find me on LinkedIn. I lo- love posting on there. Love having good discussions with people, and love you know moving the ball forward one day at a time. Love it. And then to find the company, it's just at Moss Utilities everywhere else. Um, they're out of DFW, yep. so awesome company to work for. I mean, one of our favorites to I guess. All the companies we work with are our favorites, but I mean, among the best utility companies I've ever seen, and I'm saying that genuinely. So if you're looking for a job or need a need a utility company in the DFW area, just reach out to Moss Utilities. Uh, and Garrett's not paying me to say that this time. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. We really appreciate it. Yep. All right, and with that, I think we're all done here. So we got. Uh, I guess we finished up. Yet another episode. We're almost at 50 episodes. Really exciting. Um, again, as I always say, just share it with someone that, that might need to be hearing this, uh, whether they be a GC, subcontractor, someone out in the field. I think anyone can benefit from a conversation like this one. And um, we'll see you. We'll see you on the next one as Garrett's getting out of his pickup truck there. Oh, did you hear that? <laughs> yep. No worries. This is an unprofessional production anyway. <laughs> no, we don't do editing around here. I don't have money for that. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, Thanks, Aaron. Man, I had a good time. Yes, Appreciate sir. It. See you, everybody.